0: Here, Thursday, Kansas City, Houston, kicking off the NFL season, and I cannot wait. In a full slate of games on Sunday, fantasy football, daily fantasy, and guess what? Now you can bet on the games too through America's top rated sportsbook app that is DraftKings Sportsbook. You want to check this out because. They're giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100. All you have to do is bet on any team. That's right. You can place a $1 bet on any team. If that team wins, you win a hundy. What is better than that? DraftKings, safe, reliable, secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience anytime you want to. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code Helly. When you sign up to get this can't-miss offer, you pick any team week one, you bet $1. If they win, you win $100. That's $1 to win 100 with the promo code HELIPOD. I think you should sign up right now for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler or in Indiana, 1 800 9. We are also brought to you by Viore, and you have heard me talk about them before. If you've listened to the helipod, they are our presenting sponsor, and I love their gear Uh, from their shorts, the core on the bank shorts, to their t shirts. They have uh, joggers and sweatshirts and long sleeve shirts, and they're now making some golf shirts and other apparel pants as well. I I love them because you can wear them anywhere. You can wear them to work out. You can wear them to play basketball. They have board shorts, swimming trunks. If you wanted to go to the beach, you can wear them fishing. You can wear them to sleep in. Uh, My kids wear them because they're on these zoom calls all day for school. I'm traveling a little bit now for work. I wear it on the road. It's V U O R I clothing.com. Throw in a slash helipod on the end of that. And you get 20% off courtesy of me. I love their gear. I think you will, too. Uh, Your wife's going to love it. You're going to love it. Check out Viore. Vioreclothing.com slash helipod for 20% off. Now to our guest today. Couldn't be more excited than to tell you about uh, the interview that you're about to listen to with Reggie Bush. In my mind, the most electric college football player of all time. And we get into it, folks. We talk about the sanctions at USC. We talk about what's going on in college football right now with players uh, on the cusp of getting paid. He talks about the role that Suge Knight played in the uh, mediation uh, between him and the people who supposedly um, gave him money or paid for stuff in college. Uh, We talk about that rookie year in New Orleans and why he decided that it was important for him to leave the Saints just one year after winning a Super Bowl And go to the Miami Dolphins. We get into all of it. Uh, Reggie, very candid and honest. I think you will enjoy this interview with the Heisman Trophy winner and one of the great college football players of all time, Reggie Bush, on the Helipod presented by Viore right now. My pleasure to be joined by my buddy, Reggie Bush, perhaps the most electric college football player of all time. He is on uh, the big noon kickoff show over at Fox right now, former uh, co-worker of mine over at NFL Network. And, um, you know, occasionally I'll just see him bouncing around Manhattan Beach with his family like I did the other day. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm glad you could. Uh, I'm glad you could make some time for us today. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, man, I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on, man. It's it's a pleasure uh, to be on with you, man. But yeah, it was it was funny running into you on Manhattan Beach.
0: <laughs> well, dude, it is so crazy right now with everything that's going on in college football and the NFL. I just I yeah. want to hit on a couple of current event, current events questions before we get to uh, uh, your career. Um, yeah. First, for a guy who played in New Orleans, mm. where the home field advantage was unbelievable. What do you make of Roger Goodell saying he doesn't believe that there's a competitive advantage for people that are going to have 20, 30,000 people in the stands as opposed to some teams that aren't going to have any?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely not true. Um, and any any football player would tell you that having a home field crowd, uh, having a crowd at home is a significant advantage. You think about places like playing and at Seattle. Um, I we played in a in a playoff game in 2010, which was the Beastquake run, where you know the, the crowd and I was actually in the locker room because I had just got injured, so I didn't see I wasn't on the field for it, but I felt the loudness of the crowd and I was like either something really bad just happened or something really good just happened. Either way, um, we found out you know what you know what that ended up being, and so. You know, for me in New Orleans, you know, we fed off the energy of the stadium, energy of the crowd. Anytime we got a chance to to get our crowd going with the hoot at chance um, when teams were, you know, getting close to maybe scoring or just starting off the game. You know, we always that was the way we got the crowd, the energy of the crowd going was through chance. So um, for teams who don't have that this year, uh, that is definitely uh, going to even the playing field uh, for just about all 32 teams.
0: No, there's no doubt about it, and even when you look at the, you know the point spreads and what the odds makers say, usually home field yeah. advantage is is three points. So when you talk about yeah. the playing field, that could be uh, that could be three points there. Um, yeah. A couple of days ago, we hear that Leonard Fournette not only cut by the Jags, um, which I know you had an opinion on uh, yeah. on your Instagram, but then he ends up yeah. landing in, in in Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, <laughs> man. I honestly, I knew that was going to happen. Really? And I had a I had a phone call. It's funny. Um, I was texting with a, a friend of mine from New Orleans, and when he got cut, we were texting, and the first thing he said was, watch him end up in Tampa Bay, and we both agreed, and I so badly wanted to say it on social media, but I didn't want people to blame me, because you know, <laughs> if I say it out loud, and then it, it comes to fruition, and you know, people are going to say, I put, somehow put my bad juju on the Saints, or I somehow, you know, cursed them, or whatever it is, but... Tampa Bay is for real now, that's all I know. Tampa Bay is for real, and people have to respect them. They're building the team, and and uh, Bruce Arians is showing you that he's all in on this year. He's trying to win it right now, he's not waiting. Um, they they drafted well, they have some beast players on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously they have the GOAT Tom Brady, who's not gonna turn the football over, uh, leading the ship, uh, which is what you want. If, 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 uh, if Jameis Winston can throw for 5,000 yards, and 30 interceptions in this offense, you know, what do you think Tom Brady's going to do? So, um, you know, when he ended up there, you know, I just thought it was just, uh, again, just another uh, obvious, you know, look at what Bruce Aarons is doing, but also um, a realization that Tampa Bay is for real right now and the New Orleans Saints now have a a real competitor in that division for the NFC South.
0: How much of a difference does it make, do you think, for a guy like Tom to go from – the Belichick regime in New England, which let's be honest, sometimes it's not that fun. It's fun to win, obviously, but there are times where Belichick graded on Brady. That's one of the reasons that he left to a guy like Bruce Arians, who will go out and have a couple of pops with you and Mm -hmm. uh, get on you for not having (laughs) as many shots as he did, you know? Right. (laughs) And um, you know,
1: Bruce Arians is a player coach, players coach. He's, he's exactly how you explain. He's the kind of coach that players love to hang around Um, I actually am a big fan of his. He's a coach that I wish I could have played for. Um, I've golfed a couple rounds with him before, and he's just a a, a cool dude. You know what I'm saying? He's just one of those guys where you're like, how is this dude a coach? Like, he seems like he's just one of us. You know, he's rocking the Kango hats. And, uh, you know, he might have a beer or tequila in his hand, but he's just a cool coach, man. And I think Tom Brady is going to love it. And I don't think he's going to feel bad or look back and wish that he – who was still in New England, I think that relationship ran its course. And I think they both needed something different. You know, I think at at some point in time, you you know, uh, I think that relationship runs its course. And it's like time for a fresh start. And so I think this is also going to rejuvenate, you know, know, Tom Brady. Um, I actually spoke to Todd McNair, who's the running back coach there um, right now. And he was my running back coach at USC. And um, he just talked about how Tom Brady's arm still looks good. and, And it still has some spring to it. And he said that, which was, you know, which I already knew, but he said that the connection between him and Mike Evans is going to be ridiculous this year. And I think everybody knows that. Everybody sees that coming down the pipeline. And then you add the big physical uh, Gronkowski down the middle. Um, You add the physical Leonard Fournette in the backfield with the Shady McCoy, with the Ronald Jones. Um, I didn't even mention Chris Godwin. Like, who wouldn't want to play
0: on this football team right now? (laughs) Yeah, and you got, you know, O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait and all the other tight ends. So, Shaquille
1: Barrett, who led
0: the league in sacks. Yeah, and then and they, there's so <laughs> many name brands on that team, Reg. Like that's the only thing yeah. is, I, I just Devin wonder, White. Are there, yep. are there too many? You know, it's kind of it's yeah. What's crazy? What did McNair say, the running backs coach, uh, about how they were going to divide up carries? How's that going to work?
1: He didn't speak about he didn't speak about that. Um, I think it's obviously too early. But one thing he did say that uh, Terry Robisky, who was for next coach in Jacksonville said he just spoke highly of him said he's a great kid very smart works his butt off and uh, you know it's not the kind of guy that gets in trouble you know off the field but he, he's gonna show up and he's gonna work hard and, and he said everybody's gonna love him right away and you know that I know a lot of times uh, players can get bad raps when they leave other teams or you know something may come out but um, that's that came straight from the running back coach's mouth that this kid is a great kid um, obviously the contract stuff just didn't work out uh, for them uh, but you know that's that's also part of the issue, which is what I spoke about, as you kind of alluded to on my Instagram uh, for running backs is it's a rough market for running backs right now because running backs are a dime a dozen. Um, and, you know, we, we get brutalized probably the most, you know, I'm out of most of the, out of, I would say we get brutalized the most because we are always um, outweighed by defense alignment by linebackers and these are the guys that are hitting us constantly constantly and you and you add those carries up over time right like Christian McCaffrey is getting a lot of carries right
0: now yeah
1: um and at some point he's going to start to slow down when that is is you know we'll see but at some point because your body just it 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 can't last it can't take that kind of beating for so long so um but we'll see how they divide up the carries I have to believe that they're going to get Leonard Fournette involved right away in the running game because he just brings a different attitude and a different mentality um, that I think is going to work well with Tom Brady.
0: Well, we've seen it before with Tom Brady, right? With with mm-hmm. Corey Dillon, with Legarrette exactly. Blount, you know, just be, having those hammers and then yep. being able to bring Ronald Jones or Shady or one of those other guys uh, in as a change of pace back. All right, let's let's move on to college football real quick. Um, my uh, my guys in the SEC are playing, the ACC is mm-hmm. playing. The Big 12 is playing, no Pac-12, no Big 10. What are your thoughts on how this has gone down so far?
1: You know, it's just it's, it just seems like I think the one thing that I learned very quickly from seeing this unfold is just that um, there is so much disconnect between all of the Power 5 conferences um, that I think going forward there's going to have to be some kind of uniformity because we've seen what this pandemic has done to college football. Um, two conferences are not playing and are punting it to uh, the spring and we got three other conferences that are doubling down you know and and so there should be one voice from a medical standpoint for college football there shouldn't be all these different doctors giving a lot of different opinions because that's confusing to the marketplace and it's confusing you know to the sport so um, there needs to be more uniformity Um, And I think college football might want to look at, you know, one commissioner as well, you know, kind of similar to how the NFL has Roger Goodell. um, Have one voice, one commissioner who is the sole guy who is the voice for all of the commissioners, because, again, we got to have better leadership. Um, It's not like we didn't know about this pandemic a long time in advance. They canceled March Madness. So if you cancel March Madness before it even started, you knew but the possibilities were going forward. So there should have been plans put it, to put be put in place if college football is as important as they say it is because we also know that college football provides for a lot for, for these universities. And so if it does provide that much, then how come there wasn't this plan in place so that we could save the sport and so that we could manage it, you know, right now?
0: Well, I, I understand the Pac-12 is a little different because they have you know, two of the five biggest cities in the country, in LA and San Francisco um, yeah. in their markets. And certainly that's a little bit different than, you know, Columbus and Madison. Um, mm-hmm. But to watch the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC play college football, and some of those students have, some of those schools have students on campus, some of them mm-hmm. don't. Um, and then for the players at the Pac-12 schools to not be able to transfer right away. Mm-hmm. And I understand you can't just open the floodgates, right? Right, right. You know, your Trojans could potentially lose, you know, half their roster if they were able to transfer right away. But what's yeah. the right answer? If if you're at USC right now, what, what are you doing? Are you just sitting by and waiting and crossing your fingers? Or are you trying to – are you starting a petition? Or are you, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to sue you yeah. if I can't transfer? What are you doing?
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, it, you got you have to fall in line to what is happening, to what the current state is. And if the current state of the Pac-12 is saying that, you know, we got to punt it to the spring, and that's just what we got to do. That's why I say we need more uniformity, though, because I don't think there should be three Power Five conferences playing football and then two of them not playing. Um, I think it's unfair. It's going to create maybe an unfair advantage or disadvantage maybe to some of these kids and and some of the programs um, let's figure out a time where we can all start together because we're all in this together and we're all trying to make sure that college football uh, is played but from a healthy standpoint right and if one league is struggling the other leagues have to help them and, and I think kind of rally around and say okay we're not gonna leave you out here on the island but We're going to figure out a way that we can do this all together for the savior of the sport. You know what I mean? Because we've also seen, um, you know, kids now starting to understand their value, right? And they're starting to understand their value more and more and more. And they know now that college football players are the primary stakeholders in this sport. And so if they're the primary stakeholders in your sport, now they're asking themselves questions like, well, why am I sacrificing my body so that? you guys can provide revenue and and scholarships to these other sports. And I'm still taking the same risk to my body, into my brain. And so those are the kinds of issues now that we're seeing because it's not just the pandemic. Um, I know the pandemic is kind of at the forefront, but there's also some other issues that are at the forefront that I believe college football has to uh, figure out. And that's why I say there needs to be more uniformity because again, with the sport being played, um, that's going to create so I just I think that's just going to create a lot of jealousy for one, you know, for players. But it's just going to create division too, I believe, because uh, at the end of the day, like I said, this the sport should be played together. Um, think about the NFL if we saw the NFC South uh, not playing, you know, and we saw the rest of the, the that's NFL a good that's, like that, i
0: never thought about that. That's a good way to put it. That would look crazy, and yeah. you would be like, "No, nah, this is not going to work."
1: You know what I mean? So. How can we figure this out so we can all work together and so we can all move forward. And also so that kids also feel like, okay, they do have the best interest for college football. And they're not just about, Hey, let's just go out there and make this work right now, even though there's still big risk
0: out there. Would you, would you play in the spring? If you were a student, right? Let's say uh, you're going into your junior year at USC. Mm, would you be playing in the spring?
1: I would have to, I would have a choice. You know, we're, we're, I'm not going to go to, NFL Europe, that doesn't even exist anymore. Like Canada football, like there's literally nowhere else for you to go. Like if there was another opportunity, if, right. if XFL had taken off, right, and, it, it, and if they end up doing what I think they, you know, what they can, which is, um, you know, be that developmental league for, you know, young kids who may not get drafted or who may not um, sign with the NFL team, you know, I believe that can be a place for kids to go. But other, that doesn't exist right now. Um, So there's literally nothing else for these kids to do, which is also the other reason I think why people are so scared is because now you're taking away football from them um, and you're taking away, you know, something that they love to do. But I don't look at it like that. I look at it as you're not taking it away. You're just suspending it for a couple of months. And I think that's the narrative that these young kids have to remind themselves of is we're going to play football. We're not not going to play football but it's just going to be delayed now. And is it, you know, something that we all don't like? Yes, but at least we still get to play.
0: Well, I guess the angle I'm coming from Reg is that if you're a draft eligible player after the season and you are yeah. projected to be a, you know, going the top three rounds, are you going to risk, you know, playing uh, okay. you know, okay. playing in the spring and run it right up until the draft? It's almost like they're talking about it being yeah. like college baseball, right?
1: Yeah. So, okay. Sorry, I understand your question now. Um, because there are a lot of kids opting out. Jamar Chase, I believe was the most recent one to opt out from LSU and I, I, it would be tough. It would be a very tough decision because, um, I want to, I would want to play football, you know, I would not want to play football, but it also, you know, the, one of the things I also am interested to hear is from the NFL and how they're gonna handle that, the draft process. Because you can't play these kids who are playing in the spring right away, you know what I mean? They can't go right into rookie mini camp, training camp, and then right into the season again because their body's gonna need a break. Right. So, um, you know, it would be tough for me, a tough decision for me, I, I honestly, I can't tell you if I would or I wouldn't play because I really don't know, man, because my junior year meant so much to me. You know what I mean? My junior year is what elevated me and is what put me on the map, you know, to be known as, you know, one of the best college football players ever and to be drafted number one and to make the kind of money that I made um, early on. So, you know, it would be a very, very tough decision for me because I wouldn't know if I would feel like I did enough. You know, I always wanted to make sure I gave everything to college football before I left. I didn't want to leave too soon. Um, But I left early because that junior year I capitalized and I did everything I could possibly do. And it was time for me to move on. So.
0: Yeah. That, that junior year, man, that was, that was something special. (laughs) People still talk about that today. The, the time that you were at USC, um, you know, and I had, I had Ryan Khalil on uh, a a few weeks ago and um, just looking back at those teams and remember covering those teams and you know the the game against texas the bush push at notre dame what is it that yep. sticks out the most to you because there were so many unbelievable runs and touchdowns and memories for you are yeah. there one or two that really stick out and resonate well
1: i just i love the fact that we were able to make uh so many lasting memories because i do believe you know a lot you know you work all your all your life to you know, to to build your name up, right, and to build your brand and your family and your teammates and all these different people. So, you know, the thing that I remember the most is, is just at the end of games that season, every game felt like we were in a dogfight. Every single game, we were in a dogfight. It didn't matter if it was Oregon State, uh, Oregon, uh, Fresno State, um, Notre Dame, you know, Texas, like every single game that year was a dogfight. And we, it felt like, you know, even Arizona State, I remember, I forget, Arizona State, just like, out of nowhere, just slapped us in the mouth first half, right? Just jumped on us, and we we looked up at halftime, we were down, and we're like, here we go again. Like, this is every week, and and we're clawing, and we're kicking, and we're scratching for a win. And so, for me, the, the things that I remember the most was just after games, just being exhausted with my teammates, like, man, this is, this is too much. Like, how do we go on? And then the next day, just back in the cold tubs, you know, with my teammates, and you know, telling stories and laughing and in and, and pain, but you know, moving forward and and getting ready for the next game and and you know strapping it up and doing it all over again, doing it again, doing it again and doing it again for the love of the game. And and there's something about, you know, you know, doing your passion uh, for free. And it's something about giving it away, you know, for free, giving your talents away and, and just, you know, all these things, um, you know, back then, going back to high school and Little League, you know, and just doing it for the love of the game, you know, and now seeing, you know, how much college football has progressed. And I'm just I'm so excited and so happy to see that kids truly understand their value now, because we didn't understand it back then. We didn't know our value. All we knew was that, hey, man, come over here and you get to build your brand with your brothers and you get to do it week in and week out. Um, and you're going to do it for the love of the game and all these different things but we didn't know and we didn't understand our value back then but that's why i think i'm so proud of these young kids now because they truly understand their value and they understand that they mean much more and i think that's so important for young kids it's so important for their mentality it's so important for them growing up in this world understanding their value um i think is is number one you know especially uh when you're when you play this game
0: so it's going to be a really kind of interesting and dicey time for schools to try to figure out how to navigate. Right. Cause in yeah. 2021 new rules are going to allow college athletes to, to get paid for third party endorsements for uh, pimping something on social media for autograph yep. signings. Um, and there are guys who are like you who are going to be able to make a lot of money. There was a business strategy mm-hmm. firm that said you were worth up to $6 million uh, if not more to USC when, when you were there. Um yeah. But it's going to be, and and they've also estimated that a five star kid can be worth over six hundred thousand to a school. a Four star kid, you know, four hundred thousand. Yeah. But how do you? You talked about playing for the love of the game. Yeah. How how do you navigate these waters if you are a USC? Um, and how it, it's going to? Is it just open open the floodgates and let guys make as much as they possibly can make? How do you do that?
1: Well, I talked about playing for the love of the game because that's all we knew back then. Right. You know, we only knew that we could play for the love of the game. I wish we knew that we could, we could, we could make some money back then because, you know, there's a lot of people on my team that could have made a lot of money. You know, when we played on that, right. in that era. Um and so you know, as far as now the current state of college football, you know, as far as what are the answers for how to manage this, um, I don't know what all the right answers are, but I do know that. Um, there needs to be some kind of uniformity for the players. There needs to be some kind of a, um, you know, of a, a players association, you know, for the college football players, you know, looking out for them, looking out for their best interests, because um, the snippets that I've seen from the NIL, um, they want to control a lot still. It's not like they're just going to open the floodgates. Like they want to be able to penalize you and, and, and uh, penalize you for working with competing sponsors. Um, they want you to be able they want you, players to have to make their deals public, right? And so all these are just different um, ways for them to keep control. And and so, you know, with that said, I think there needs to be uniformity for the players. You know, I would love to see some kind of a players association put together where, you know, there is a body uh, that is looking out for the best interests And it's working with, you know, the NCAA and it's working with, you know, the commissioners from the Power Five conferences uh, because I believe that does need to exist um, because I do believe there has been trust lost um, from the players, between the players and the NCAA.
0: Time for a quick break now to tell you about some of our other sponsors on the Helipod, Greens Plus, a health food leader since 1989. They created the first ever blended green superfood powder And they're also the first company to infuse those green superfoods into a bar. You can buy those bars right now and the powder as well. I like to throw the powder in a smoothie. Delicious. The bars taste great as well. You can get them at Whole Foods or Amazon, or you can just go to greensplus.com and get 20% off with the promo code HELLY. I love the chocolate protein bar and the wild berry superfood powder. I think you will find it delicious as well. And it's good for you folks. At Vaco, the motto is we invest in your career, so you are here for the duration of ours. What is Vaco, you ask? Well, it's a premier talent and solutions firm that provides boutique level service with global reach in areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. You need somebody to fill that C-suite position, Vaco has you covered they are areas of expertise all over the board, accounting, finance, tech, healthcare, IT operations, uh, or international managed services. They got you covered, they were founded in 2002. Veco has grown to serve over 40 markets across the globe, a thousand employees, 5,000 consultants, and 750 million in revenue. How do I know they do it right? because one of my good buddies from college, Brian Waller, was one of the founders, and I have watched this grow since 2002. I suggest you check them out. It's Vaco.com for more information on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies around the world find talent to grow. Also want to tell you about something that I've been doing for almost two months now. It's a product uh, called True Niogen. I really wanted to invest in my long-term health, and I think you should too. It's a new trend in the scientific community that surrounds the health of cells. Uh, This affects all of us, from pro athletes to weekend warriors like me. We have something in our cells called NAD, which supports our energy and our body's ability to repair itself all the way down to the cellular level. Well, it turns out that NAD declines as we age. It also declines when we overexercise, we don't sleep enough, and even when we're exposed to a virus. So there's only one NAD booster that is backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists, 10 published human studies, and regulatory approval for safety. That is True Niogen. It is NSF certified for sport. Visit TrueNiogen.com to learn more. That's T R U n-i-a-g-e-n.com like i said been taking it for a couple of months and i feel great when you would look back and you were coming out uh after that unbelievable year um and you were talking about going number one overall to the texans and i remember a couple of years ago we were working (laughs) with charlie casserly and i go hold on i gotta get a picture have uh, Reggie Bush yeah. and Charlie Castle together for the first time. This is amazing. He, of course, was the general manager <laughs> of the Texans and, yeah. and asked on you to take Mario Williams. Was it did it matter to you that you didn't go number one? I mean, you ended up in such a good situation. You won a Super yeah. Bowl Did it matter?
1: I think at the at the time, um, at the like at that moment it mattered because uh I I I'm a I'm a competitor and I felt like who was better than me. And that's no disrespect to anybody else. There's no disrespect to Mario Williams, but I always felt like I was the best option. I was the best choice. And so at that moment, it mattered because that's all I was told. I was told by everybody, oh, you're going to Houston. 31 NFL teams didn't even interview me because they knew I was going to Houston and they didn't even bother interviewing me. So think about that, right? Like I'm, so I'm talking to the head coach, gentlemen, I mean, uh, the president, everybody's telling me that I'm coming to Houston. And I'm already even looking for homes in Houston. And so then when we find out the night before, you know, on ESPN, you know, the ticker comes across as like Mario select number one, I was shocked. And, we, and we, we couldn't believe it because we were also in constant communication with them. And so um, when it didn't happen at the time, it mattered. And what it did was, uh, it just put, I think, an uneasy feeling inside me because I didn't know, okay, so what's next? Like who's next and who's next was in New Orleans. And at the time, if you remember hurricane Katrina just happened, they didn't, they didn't have a home stadium. Um, you know, most of the city was still very, very, very devastated. Um, nobody had came back yet. The, The place was a ghost town. And, um, there was just a lot of uncertainty. And then the next pick after that was the New York jets. And so it was like saints at the time and then jets. And I'll be honest with you, uh, Our team wanted to go to the Jets because they were thinking, oh, big city, New York, you're going to make a lot of money marketing, you know, you're going to be in the Big Apple, right? And I always use this story because I believe it's a perfect example, one of just how much control we don't have over our lives, even though we want to, because I wanted to go to New York. I was thinking big, but God had a different plan for me. And I believe that that team in New Orleans came together for a bigger purpose to help restore hope into the city of New Orleans and to the people because there was a lot of hope that was lost. Um, There was a lot of lives that were lost. Um, There were a lot of businesses and homes that were lost. And here comes, you know, kind of this band of misfits put together uh, to come in, restore hope, get into the community with the people, um, hang out with them, talk to them, and just show them that we cared, right? And show them that this was a different era. And when I look back on the silver lining of that, um, I mean, winning a Super Bowl in New Orleans, being a part of history, I would never in a million years give that back, ever. I would never trade it for anything. That was one of the best experiences of my life. And sometimes, you know, we want to control situations in our life so much that we can't foresee there's something bigger down the pipeline if we just trust the process, right? And if you just trust the process, and the pathway, um, you know, and at that time I didn't trust the process. I'll be honest with you. The the human side of me was like, F this, let's go to New York. You know what I mean? But again, like I said, uh, I'm so glad that um, everything worked out the way it was. Drew Brees called me the night before and was like, Hey man, I can't wait to play with you. That's what changed my heart. Really. I'll be honest with you. When Drew called me that on that spot, that moment and told me that he couldn't wait to play with me. And then also gave me like this vote of confidence and said, uh, basically, he played with Ladainian Thompson. He thought he was the best running back he ever played with, and he thought that I had a chance to be just as good or better. And that completely changed everything in my heart and in my mind. And that's why you know I always have you know a very close connection and special relationship with Drew.
0: Well, I mean, you grew up in San Diego watching Drew Brees play yeah. for for the Chargers. That must have been an unbelievable yep. call. Um, so you get there and. I remember talking to some of your marketing people. You were like the second coming, doing part to how you, <laughs> how you arrived, not just because of your resume, not yeah. just because you're a Heisman Trophy winner, because you partnered with Adidas. You had this big deal with Adidas, mm-hmm. and you were rebuilding football fields. Mm-hmm. You dove in headfirst yeah. into that community. How, yeah. Who was it that got in your ear, and, and how did you decide to, to do that and make such an yeah. impact from the jump there?
1: Well, I think um, a couple of things are going on in my life at that time that are very important word. One, I was still very, very hurt from what was happening with the Heisman Trophy and what was happening with USC. I was in a, a very confused place because on one side, I felt this pain in my stomach. And I felt this pain in this relationship and this bond that was severed for no reason. And then on the flip side, there was this city that was just devastated. Um, and that was welcoming me with open arms and i'll never forget the video of uh, when i got drafted and they showed i don't know if it was a bar or a street or whatever it was like people went nuts and went crazy and when i saw that it just it, it it built up um you know this i don't know man it just built up something inside of me that it just uh it felt good it felt good to be wanted um you know i got passed up on to go to houston I was still, like I said, I was still dealing with the the USC stuff internally, and um, it just felt good to be wanted, man, if I'm being honest with you. You know, it felt good to see a city want me to be there, you know, and and that's why I dove in here first, because as much as, you know, uh, New Orleans needed me, I needed them just as much, because I needed a safe place, and I needed a place where I could call home, and I needed a place uh where people would welcome me and would you know you know want me to be there. So uh when I got down there and obviously the first thing they did was when I landed, they took me on a tour uh through the ninth ward uh and saw all the devastation. Uh I remember seeing spray paint, you know, on the on the homes that were destroyed uh with the body count of how many bodies were found inside the homes. That's a lot for a young twenty one year old kid who, you know, just got a big contract and, and is dealing with so much in his life. You know, but um, that's why I say New Orleans gave me stability. And I went there, like I said, it was, it was a ghost town. Nobody was there. So you had to play football. Nothing else to do. So we locked in. I focused. And, uh, you know, we went to work. And And um, I was homesick as hell that first year, man. I was so homesick. But at the same time, it was a fun ride because you remember that year, we went all the way to the NFC Championship. Yeah. And so that year, I believe that year really – uh, was the start of uh, the change of just the way people felt about New Orleans, um, the way that maybe the people felt about the team, uh, about the organization. And I think it just put this vote of confidence in people's minds that, okay, help is on the way. You know what I mean? And it sounds crazy to say that, that we can affect people's lives, uh, you know, just by winning football games. But that's really what it was. You know, we got a chance to um, truly affect people's lives just by winning games on Sundays
0: it is amazing how that how that worked out there and came to fruition I'm fascinated by the fact that you say you needed New Orleans as much as they needed you you know that obviously all the USC stuff is well documented you are now back in the family which is Mm -hmm. awesome you know an outpouring Mm -hmm. on social media is there anything during that time that you would have done differently now looking back
1: uh there, there's, I would have to have had the knowledge back then, you know, right. to understand what was happening. You know what I mean? Um, you know, people still don't know the truth. That's was that's what is so amazing about my story. Everybody doesn't know what the actual truth is and what actually happened.
0: And, um, Reggie, you know, we can we, that, can, we I'm can, can we that. can, we Hey, we can go the truth <laughs> right now. If I'd love to hear, I'd love for you cause we've talked about this a little bit one on one before, but I'd yeah, love if you to share what happened, man. Well, I would love
1: to share what happened, but I'm about to drop this documentary on y'all. And uh, oh, it's, I
0: got just a little tidbit, <laughs> just a little teaser. That's what we do on the Helipod, Reg.
1: But this is what I will say, man. Um, you know, there, there were things that happened to me, uh, you know, from, you know, the guys who were claiming to be would-be sports marketing agents for me, which was never true. It was never true. Like these guys were never gonna be my marketing agents. These guys were were our family friends, you know? And so these were the guys that, um, you know, that all this, how all this stuff, you know, got mixed up in, man. And it's just unfortunate because none of this stuff had to happen. And none of this stuff had to go the the way that it did. And um, I do believe though, that it happened for a reason. I believe that what happened with me uh, needed to happen so that we could get here right now in 2020, because you think about uh, the, the history of NCAA football. I wasn't the first person to, to deal with the NCAA and to get suspended and you know all these different things, right? We can go back, uh, AJ Green, he missed games because mm-hmm. he sold his jersey, his own jersey for $1,000 what is he going to do with a thousand dollars? Like, is he going to buy some groceries? You know what I mean? Is he, is he going to maybe buy buy some shoes? Right. Is he going to, what is he going to do with that? But that's what they should be able to do. Right. Like, and so what I'm saying is that the point I'm getting to is that I wasn't the first person that this happened to. So what was different this time around? You know what I mean? Um, And, and the thing, when I look back on the silver lining is that when it happened to me and then fast forwarding to now where we are 2020 the nil is about to be written um i believe that what happened with me had to happen so that we could get here in 2020 so that it could start the right conversation right because there's a famous quote like Rick tupac says uh, i don't know if i can change the world but hopefully i can spark the mind that changes the world right and i don't know um th- this situation had been happening for a long time but with me it sparked the right conversation that we could get here to 2020 and i believe that's the silver lining because i I don't i'm not looking to to come and rectify the situation or what happened Uh, i just want kids from here on out to uh be able to make money off their name image and likeness but also be able to provide for their families at a much earlier rate right because when you're 18 19 20 years old that's when you are in your prime that's when you start to you know become a man and those gaps, those years mean so much for these kids, right? My jump from year one to year two was significant. And then my jump from year two to year three was tremendous, right? And so each year your body is growing and you're getting stronger and faster and you're building and those are the years when the NCAA is capitalizing the most, right? And that's why I think it's fair for now young kids to be able to make money at the college level because that's when they're in their prime, right? That's when that's when they are, um, you know, becoming men, and that's when they are starting to really just start to come into their own, and um, they don't deserve to be hamstring. Um and, and so, for me in my situation, when I look at it, uh, that's the silver lining that I take away is that if it didn't happen with me, uh, maybe we might not be here right now, in 2020, with this nil being written.
0: That is a fascinating way to look at it. I I just have one question. Yeah. Suge Knight, he jumped in on a conference call to try to help mediate this situation, didn't he?
1: Suge Knight was a part of it, yep. And that's one thing else that people don't know. I've never spoken about that, but that's something that's going to be a documentary as well. Suge Knight, uh, it didn't start out as him being a mediator. It started out uh, as a threat uh, towards me. Uh, not through Knight though. It was through, uh, Lloyd Lake. And that's the only snippet I'm gonna give you, Dan.
0: That's all I can
1: give you, man. That's
0: fired fire it all right. When, <laughs> when, when is this have, documentary dropping, man?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we're working on it right now. Uh, we're working on it right now. And, um, you know, hopefully it, it's going to, it's definitely, I'm hoping before the year is up.
0: The good news for you, Reggie, is I, I have a guy I, I think could narrate the documentary for you. Who's that? What do you mean, you? who's that? He's right here. You? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, man. man. Um, well, I can't, uh, I can't wait I would to love see that.
1: For you, man, to, I would love for you to be a part of it, man. You know, you're my guy, man. I,
0: I, would, I would love that. Hey, let's dip into that rookie year, man. I like to talk about guys' rookie years. So you're coming out of USC, you have this whole shit storm going on you're the, the second coming, the, the town has embraced you, they love you, you're building football fields, you're coming back from Hurricane Katrina. Was it? Was there any kind of normal rookie hazing that went on for you, or was it just this? the situation was so unique that, that you guys didn't even do it that
1: year? Rookie hazing, yeah, there was rookie hazing for sure. But it was nothing crazy. Like Deuce McAllister was uh, like my OG that was, you know, like our, the, like the, what do you call him? OG. Yeah, he know, was the like OG for big, sure. Big brother. Yeah. Like, he was an OG. Deuce was, you know, he had been in the league for a long time. But, you know, the one thing I respected about Deuce was um, he really took me under his wing, you know, that those first two years and really just, you know, showed me how to work as a professional on and off the field. And, you know, Deuce was a very beloved guy in New Orleans, very beloved, like people love him down there because of not only what he did on the football field, but what he did for the city, he was another guy that gave uh, a lot back to that city. Um, and so, you know, Deuce meant a lot to me those first two years because he took me under his wing, he showed me the ropes, showed me how to work uh, on and off the field, um, and how to just put my head down and go to work, you know, and, and not complain, um, not, you know, complain about, you know, things that may, or I may or may not have liked, um, you know, during the time period while I'm playing. So I really appreciated Deuce. Uh, while I was there, but as far as like rookie hazing, the only thing they made me do was just buy food for away games.
0: <laughs> oh, that's pretty easy. Yeah,
1: that's all I had to do. All right, that's not so, too bad. They didn't really hit me with any like really big bills. Um, I think, but you know what I did? I I was smart. I took the initiative. I took them out before they could even like come up with something. So I oh, took that's... the offensive alignment out. I took the I took everybody out. Yeah, I took everybody out. So I wasn't even gonna let them. Get to that point to, uh, hmm, how can we stick Reggie with the biggest bill possible? <laughs> I was like, hey, guys, listen, just show up, go to here, this address, it's already paid for, get the food, then you're good. So Dude, I was smart.
0: Reg, that's brilliant because I, I had LT on a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if you remember this, but when LT was coming out, it was it was him and Deuce that were going to be one and two in the draft in terms of running backs, Right. And it was It yeah. was ahead of him for a while, and then you know LT kind of moved ahead throughout the combine and the draft process. But he said he went out with the Chargers and had to take the whole offense out to dinner for eighteen mm-hmm. grand, which is probably more like twenty five thirty grand in today's money. I mean, that's yeah, a real money, yeah.
1: man. That's real money. That's a lot. I never wanted to wait for that, so I make sure I got my two thousand three thousand dollar dinners in there with the lineman, and I took them out separately. I knew better too. I can't. You can't take everybody out together at once. Like, you got to separate them in groups. You got to take the offensive linemen out. And then you got to take the running backs out. And then you got to take the quarterbacks yeah. out. You got to do it like that. Because if you try to do it all at once, they're going to kill you with that It's build. too
0: much, man. Well, that rookie, that rookie nice. year, you had 1,300 scrimmage yards. You had 88 catches. Um, you had great productivity right off the bat. And then, yep. and then in that fourth year is when you guys finally win that Super Bowl. In yeah. The- And you talk about how special that team was to that city. What was Mm -hmm. it about that year that allowed you guys to finally break through?
1: Our defense. Our defense is what allowed us to break through that year. Um, We had always had a good offense from 2006 on. We always had a good offense. The Saints have always had a good offense under Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Uh, But what we were lacking was our defense. And when our defense got better, Greg Williams came over um, and just changed our attitude, changed our mentality. In, pre- in training camp that year, we were in a dogfight every day. And that's what that's what changed us because when we were not dominating our defense anymore and they were challenging us, and not only challenging us, but also beating us a lot too, that just that did something different for us. And it just put our mindset in a different place. And we felt like we were our own – we were our best competitors. Um, there were times where the defense would pick off Drew take it the other way score a touchdown spike the ball party you know what i mean talk trash to Drew like you know but that was competition and um, you know we would go right back to work and Drew would come right back you know surgically like he does in games and carve him up and we would go back and forth you know and we would have fights and practices um, you know and we and, and that's how we that's how we won because we made practice tougher um, and and uh, our mentality, uh, you know, just completely shifted when our defense picked up.
0: At what point did you know that you weren't going to be in New Orleans forever?
1: Uh, I think 2010, um, you know, I was looking for more, more a bigger role uh, right. as, as a true running back. And... I felt five years was plenty of time, you know, to see if I was ever gonna get that shot there. And I never felt like I was gonna get the shot to be a true every down back. Um, And that's what I wanted. And I I wanted, I was tired of people saying that I was just a third down back. Uh, I I don't know where that came from, you know, why they followed me, but there is not, I was built to do everything. I was built to run between the tackles, to run outside of the tackles, to play receiver, to return punts, to, to do all those things—that's uh, what I love to do, and that's why I did it in college. I did it in high school, and I even did it in NFL. Um, but you know, one of the things when I was in New Orleans, I always wanted a shot to show that I could beat every down back. Um, but I—I would never. There were far and few games where I got double-digit touches as a running back. Um, you know, they were usually kind of my. The way I got the ball was like punt returns. You know, catching the ball in the backfield. Um, you know, line up at receiver and, then you know, a couple runs, but, you know, I felt like I was much more than that. And, and I wanted to show that I could be much more than that. And so I asked for a trade uh, from the New Orleans Saints because um, I felt like I wasn't going to get it there. They had just drafted Mark Ingram. Um, and the, so the, a crowded backfield got more crowded. Right. So I was done with the three, three back system and I wanted to move on. And so we went to Miami two years, I balled and I went hard And I showed people that I could be an every down back. And that's what I wanted because I knew that if I never tried, I would regret it when I was retired. I would regret not at least proving to myself that I could be an every down back in the NFL.
0: You had your first 1,000-yard season in Miami. Was that that kind of a magical number for you?
1: Yeah, I wanted to rush for over 1,000 yards. I knew I could do it. Um, you know, with the amount of touches that I, that I was going to be getting. And, you know, it took Tony Sperano, you know, to believe in me, you know, and rest in peace, man. Uh, I always will remember him for giving me that opportunity. Uh, at that time period, I, 2010, I broke my leg uh, in the beginning of the season with the Saints on a punt return and missed like eight or nine games. So Tony Sperano was taking a chance on me. I, was, I, I had also had a number of injuries to my left knee. And uh, he gave me a real shot and I'll never forget him for that because um, you know, he believed in me in a time period where there were most other teams didn't either need me or want me, you know, there was like, it was either them or Tampa at that time. And I didn't want to stay in the same division with the saints. Uh, I wanted to go somewhere different and go just kind of start fresh, start new. And Miami was that place for me. And we, we, uh, I put up some good numbers there. I, I was proud of that stop. I was proud that I did that. I was proud that I, that I believed in myself enough to even take that leap of faith because that was a scary thing to do was to ask the team that drafted you, um, ask them for a trade, you know, ask the coach who drafted you, you know, for a trade and, and you know, a year removed after we won the Super Bowl, you know. So it was a, it was a tough decision, but um, ultimately I went with my gut. I went with my instincts, and that proved right. And that's something that, you know, um, you can never, anytime you go with your gut, you go with the instincts and it proves right, man. I just believe it does something for you internally. Um, because there are a lot of times where people can put doubt in our minds as to if we can really do something. Right. You know, and if you, you can spend your whole life, you know, looking and seeking the approval of other people. and And that's something that I did, you know, for a long time. And I seek the approval of other people for a long time. And I think that was the first. Uh, chance where the first opportunity where I think I made a decision for myself as a man, you know, a business decision and it worked out for me. So I was so proud that I did that, even though it was so hard for me to do it. I didn't want to leave New Orleans. Uh, I didn't want to go, but I had to do it, man. And I had to walk that path, walk that narrow path and I did it.
0: Yeah. You had the first 1000 yard season in 2011. Um, another solid year in 2012, almost a thousand yards, five yards per carry. And then yeah. it's Detroit. You get another nice deal with Detroit, yep. and then you turn another thousand-yard season in Detroit. Those years with yeah. with the Lions, are you glad you made that move? Do you second guess? And what were the other options yeah. besides Detroit?
1: I didn't have no other options. That was it. Detroit was the was the was the only team at that at that time. Um, there were you know Bruce Arians was in uh, Arizona at the time, and he ended up. Uh, signing Rashard Mendenhall because he was with them in Pittsburgh. Right. So I was like, okay, I get that, you know, and so that spot was gone. Um, I believe Atlanta was kind of in it for a little bit, but nothing really materialized from that. So it was Detroit and, you know, Scott Linehan was the OC at the time, Uh, but they sold me on it because I was coming from Miami and I was facing eight to nine guys in a box every play. They were stacking a box to stop the run. Then I'm seeing film that Scott Lenihan is showing me, and they got double teams of Calvin Johnson yeah. with a safety rolling over the top. And there's like five five players in a box. I'm like, oh, yeah. Makes got a little easier. I'm about to run all day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm about to run all day you know, with this offense. so, you know, it it really um, was exciting for me because I was like, one, I get to play with Calvin. Uh, I get to play with Stafford. And they're going to put me in a system where I'm not going to be bad Hanging my head on a brick wall every time I touch the ball, you know I'm gonna get an opportunity to really run through some open lanes and showcase what I can do. So um, that was a good start for me as well. Um, I really, I really was happy that that we made that decision. Another tough decision, but you know worked out for the best. And um, you know my my second year there, I got injured, man. I got a, a high ankle sprain, and a high ankle sprain is just it just lingers and it lingers and it lingers. And if you don't take, you have to take, um, because a high ankle sprain is also, it's a tear in the ligaments, but I think it's, it's just nasty, it's just nasty. And it's one of the worst injuries I've ever had. And it just lingered all season. I didn't get healthy until around the end of the season because the doctors, they kept clearing me to go back out there every two weeks. I would go back out there, get clipped, get injured, go back down, and that happened like three times. So, you know. Restless history and end up cutting me after that year.
0: <laughs> well, at least you did not break your arm trying to save a pizza from falling on the ground. With, with were you were you there when that happened?
1: Yeah, I was there. I was like, Nate, you good? You alright? What happened, man? You broke your arm? <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's like, Man, it wasn't just one pizza. I had a whole stack of pizzas. That was a great story. Hey man, oh, I'm gonna man. we'll do a couple quick hitters and then we'll let you roll here, okay?
1: All right, cool, yeah.
0: All right, so um during the whole quarantine like the first couple months, right when everybody was locked down, yep. everybody did something maybe a little unexpected like I got a dog right mm-hmm. my my kids and my wife were just hammering me about getting a dog, so we got an English bulldog. What's something you did during the the quarantine that that was unexpected
1: uh, I feel like everything has been unexpected, but um we well, some of the things for me, like the seail lions, like I taught my two year old taught him how to swim, oh um, nice, yeah, well, he just turned three yesterday, he's three now, but taught him how to swim, so that was unexpected because um he was terrified of the water, you know he wouldn't go in and now, I mean he's freaking swims backwards, it's crazy, so that was unexpected, that was something for me that was pretty cool, that was a proud daddy moment
0: and <laughs> <That's laughs> awesome.
1: seeing my son you know, started swimming and then taught my daughter how to ride a bike. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think of anything that we bought that was like, unex- we bought bikes, but that's not unexpected. That's like something that we were just trying to do while, you know, we were bored at home.
0: Well, you know, um, it's funny. I, I actually got a bike too. I've been waiting forever to get this mountain bike and I go to Santa Monica. There's a big bike store called Helen's in Santa Monica. Um, mm. And I'm waiting in line. And I see uh, J.R. Smith, right? At that point, he wasn't yeah. with the team. So he, yeah. was, he, he was bringing a bike that he had just bought and, and upgrading it. And then two weeks later, he ends up, uh, you know. With the Lakers. Back in the yeah. league with the Lakers, yeah. Um, all right. How about best investment, worst investment ever?
1: Best investment ever. Hmm. Okay. Let me start with the worst investment because I'm trying to figure out the best one. All right. So I invest, the worst investment is I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this one. I invested into this house with a couple other guys. Right. Um, We were going to, it was a great deal invested uh, to buy the, buy the lot, buy the land, tear it down, rebuild it, and then to sell it. Well, we, me and my, three friends are all limited partners, and then there's one general partner, but we gave the general partner way too much control, and so, long story short, the deal just went really bad, and I will never, ever, one, doing real estate is very tough, but the, and the home was just, it was just, it was too expensive, too expensive to start off with, and uh, anyway, it's just, a lot of just bad things happen with the house. my first experience, but I would never do it again. I will never invest into buying a home with four other guys and to trying to build that. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own. I will never do it with another group of people ever again.
0: Hard to do business with, with buddies. right? Yeah.
1: Like they, and you know what? I know better too. Like you don't do business with your friends, man. I should have known that. That's my bad. The so best investment. I mean, I invest in the business. You know, uh, to me, investing into business is, has always paid off for me. Um, you know, I have a business advisor that I work with, who's very smart. Um, and he advises me and I listen, you know, um, there's times where I wanted to go out and, um, you know, kind of do things on my own and be a little cavalier and just invest into this, invest into that just to feel like I'm doing something. Right. That's a false, uh, you know, that's, that's a false sense of security you know and so i try to listen i try to learn and so to me the best investment you know you can do is investing into business uh, because business is a thing that runs the world period business runs the world so if you invest in the business you you invest into the world
0: <laughs> well i I'll, I'll tell you one uh, the market's gone crazy right and and everybody like is yeah. making money in the market right now so it was probably 2 years ago the cannabis cannabis industry is is blown up, and you know yeah. it was really. I want
1: to get into it. I just haven't. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, I'll tell you one not to get into. So, <laughs> I bought some of this company called Aurora Cannabis, right? One of the bigger ones. So, yeah, they are they are down. I'm looking I'm looking at my phone right now, so I can give you an exact an uh, exact number. Um, they're down ninety one point six percent and did a reverse stock split. So a reverse stock split is the opposite of what just happened with Apple and Tesla. So that, that's my worst investment ever Aurora It's <laughs> it's it was terrible. Uh, right. Weed but, is an essential.
1: How is yeah? Weed, how do you lose money with something that is literally it? it I felt like the weed industry was surviving the pandemic. I felt like it was one of the businesses that was doing
0: well. well some some of them are, Reggie, but like it's so unregulated now. You know, yeah, a lot of the companies yeah. can't even, you know, deposit and use regular banks. So kind of a weird yeah. deal. But luckily that yeah. was just uh, you know, just a little side deal. All right. Two <laughs> more two more questions. Um the last thing that Reggie Bush Googled was what?
1: Uh can I look at my phone? Yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: uh while you're figuring oh, it out uh, where you're figuring I, it out I paid
1: some bills that was the last thing
0: okay let's see
1: the last thing I did oh uh the last thing I did was googled I was googling um because I was supposed to do undisputed uh yesterday I googled um the top sack leaders uh from the NFL last year Shaquille Barrett Chandler Jones, uh, Cameron Jordan, because I was basically trying to make a case for uh, ESPN put out their list of their top 100 players. Right. Did you see that?
0: I haven't seen it yet. No.
1: Did you see that list that they put out of the top? Okay. Well, they had Miles Garrett at 12, and they had Shaquille Barrett at like 84, and I was like, "Huh? I was like, How do you like? How do you have Miles Garrett at 12?" Shaquille Barrett, who just led the NFL in sacks. Right. He just led him in sacks. 19 and a half sacks. And he was 84, and Miles Garrett was 12. And I was like, I don't get that correlation of like, how you got those two so far from each other. You know, I feel so like I was people Googling still don't buy in. That's, that's
0: Shaq Barrett. I feel like a lot of people still don't buy in. They they look at him like, oh, maybe that's like Vic Beasley. Maybe that's a one year flash in the pan. You know, Miles Garrett obviously got suspended and missed a few games. Could, that's, could,
1: that's a good one. could be. Could yeah. be, but my man still ripped off 19 and a half sacks, so you got to give him his respect.
0: <laughs> I, to, I totally agree. Right. Uh, that That is not too easy to rip off almost 20 sacks. All right, final question for you, Reg. Um, and I know there there is a big list of celebrities in the uh, Reggie Bush iPhone, um, <laughs> but the most famous person that you talk to on a regular basis or text with on a regular basis is who?
1: I see. I really don't text famous people. I really don't. Like, I really don't. I know him. I don't text him, though.
0: (laughs) You're in L.A., man. You're playing golf all the time. There has to be – it's Reggie Bush in L.A. Come on. I'm
1: going to tell you who just just texted me the other day. Um, No, I can't say him.
0: What do you mean you can't say him? Of course you can.
1: (laughs) Now if I say it, it's going to be weird because you're going to be like, oh, why? (laughs) (laughs) But now you have to say it uh i have to say kelly james kelly james has texted me kelly james oh. is like a country music artist um but we golf all the time together so he texted me the other day uh we were trying to figure out where we were gonna go golf. he's a but, um, he's a
0: manhattan beach guy i think just, isn't he
1: yeah he is an, yeah
0: yeah yeah i never yeah, met him friends of friends manhattan a, beach
1: very um, very talented
0: guy The kelly james will go on a t-box for a charity very talented, tournament.
1: very talented
0: and just, he'll just beatbox, he'll just break, he, he can sing country, he freestyle. can rap, he is great freestyle about anything. Anything. Yeah.
1: He's very he's very talented, he's very talented, and he can do it on the spot too, you know, which is a very, very, like a lot of great artists can't do that, you know? Yeah. Um, to be able to do it on the spot like that, like he does, every time I see him, I'm just like blown away, cause he could literally like just look at something and just start going. So that's a that's a unique uh, you know skill set.
0: Uh, no doubt. Well, I did not think we were going to get. A all I got for you. I, I didn't think we were going to get the Kelly James shout out, but that's pretty good. Uh, Reggie, I appreciate the time. Smart my God, man! Hey, don't get. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hot this weekend. Be in the air conditioning. I mean, stifling. Yeah. Where Where are you right now? What What part of LA are you in right now? I live in the Valley, man. Oh, hot, hot, hot. 105 plus dude
1: Yeah man I think we might go to San Diego
0: I think that's smart I think it's smart <laughs> Hey Reg great talking to you buddy good seeing All you right. in town the other day be Appreciate good it,
1: man yes sir you too man take care thanks for the the, the opportunity
0: Absolutely buddy talk to you soon